This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we are kicking off Hour 2 of the program. It is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon, Aaron Vickers along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots of hockey talk in Hour 1 of the program. News of the day with Tony D'Angelo signing in Carolina. Jim Nill extending with the Dallas Stars and some prospect analysis with Stephen Ellis. You can grab that wherever you get your favorite podcast. It'll be up shortly. Still to come on the program. Jays avoid a disastrous weekend in Seattle with a win on Sunday. We'll get uh, your Jays report with Taylor. We'll also check in on some of the biggest soccer news in the world Me and Aaron are talking about what it might take for us to transfer to the Saudi League to play soccer. Bad news is they're not interested. They're not interested in paying us nearly as much money as everybody else, but we're going to dream about it anyways. Not certain I'd pass the physical. (laughs) No, I don't think we would. But hour two, kicking it off with a bang. It's all things football this hour here on Sportsnet today. And we kick the program off with a chat I am incredibly excited for as a longtime Chargers fan. This is a bucket list item for myself. Chatting all things NFL, some MMA as well as we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon and welcome in Sean Merriman, former NFLer, three-time NFL All-Pro and founder of Lights Out MMA. Sean, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? We're doing great. Uh, thank you again for the time today, man. Really appreciate it. NFL training camps getting underway across the league. I'm just curious, man, as we start off the conversation, what's this time of year like for a player, is it a lot of uh, excitement? Is there a little bit of dread ahead of training camp? What are these uh, few weeks left uh, ahead of preseason and the regular season football getting underway? Well, as a former player, you're happy that you don't got to go to training camp anymore. <laughs> that, that's one. Uh, you're always happy about that. But I think that, you know, for especially young guys, you got to be excited, right? Because there's a lot of, a lot of talk, a lot of chatter. Uh, you know, a lot of guys look great in OTAs and mini camp and all season workouts, right? Like you see all these catches and guys running around, everybody looks great. And when the pads come on and the, the physical contact starts to happen, that's when you kind of start to have the separator between the two. And the coaches at that point, they kind of know what they're working with, right? What kind of team they got? Are they physical? Uh, can they execute plays? Those things. But I'll say for the, for the, veterans, any any guys that's after year four or five, man, you're just going through training camp, trying to get to that first preseason <laughs> game so you can get ready, get, get ready to play real football. Do you still miss it when this time of year comes around? For, for a brief second, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then, you know, you remember waking up in those days and don't get me wrong. Training camp is completely different um, than it was when I played. We had two practices back to back for a month straight. You were just happy as hell to get <laughs> one day off. <laughs> out of that month. So it's, it's a little bit different. Um, in fact, I think a couple of years ago, they took the guys to the water park. I said, the only water park we got is when it rains. <laughs> that was about it. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you miss it. You, you want to see 
the younger guys, when you, you when you get away from the game far enough, you become a fan. Again, you start watching certain positional things, uh, the big quarterback talk. You become a fan and an analyst more than wanting to play anymore. Uh, Sean, a couple of NFL topics I'm curious to get your perspective on, man. And the first one's got to be with the running backs, led by Chargers running back Austin Eckler. The running backs feel like they're incredibly undervalued in the NFL, and they're trying to find a way to get that value up across the league. How do you see it as a former player and as a guy that played a different position? How do you see this group of running backs and what they're trying to do when it comes to getting fair value in their mind when it comes to their next contracts? Yeah, there's no doubt about it that um, the running back position has just be, been, uh, you know, undervalued. Um, and, you know, they have a short sh- shelf life. That's just the truth. But the truth of the matter in saying that as well, that your top 10 guys are not replaceable. Um, you got, you know, definitely your top five, but maybe even your top 10, because those guys add a different dimension to your offense. And you're not the same team. Now, definitely top five. You say Carl Barkley's in the world. Uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, Eckler, you know, is 50-50 in that, I would, I would say, even though he's mm-hmm. a great player. Uh, Pollard, you know, you look, at, you look at some of these guys around the league, your top five is definitely not replaceable, but your top ten, man, can change your offense. So while I understand that they have a short life, I get it, I understand, um, but it's not a plug-and-play situation where you're going to win a whole lot of football games if they're not there. So what does it take for them, in your mind, to get that value up? Is it going to take a couple of guys like – Josh Jacobs or Saquon or, you know, even some of the bigger names, other newer names coming in like a B. John Robinson, is it going to take them sitting out training camp or even regular season games to get it done? It feels like it's so tough because there's so many great running backs out there. I mean, Dalvin Cook, a free agent today, that's a great running back right there that's just waiting to be picked up. I don't know how, I don't even know if you have an answer, Sean, as to how they can try to get that value back in their minds. Yeah, I know that Austin Eckler had a, uh, a Zoom meeting about 15 or 20 guys showed up, if not more. Um, but what I think ultimately is going to happen is this. There's going to be a, a war, like a battle, right, of, of the guys running back in the running back position that one day have a sore hamstring, uh, a road ankle, or a, a tight back or something like that. They're going to say, look, I'm not playing, mm. right, because I know what's going to happen at the end of this five years after you kind of run me into the dirt. Uh, you, you, you know, you get your service out of me, and then there's nothing, no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, a guy like Saquon Barkley, man, I mean, you know, these guys run hard. They play hard. They take a lot of hits. You know, after year seven, eight, their career is going to kind of go down. Um, ultimately, I think the Players Association is going to get involved and probably start restructuring NFL running back contracts in three years, right? And that, this kind of protects both sides, right? Because if, if you do well those three years, you, you go out, compete, you look great, you get a new deal. And then the, the NFL, the team, the organization, know that they got a valuable guy that they want to keep there for the next three to five years. And vice versa, hey, you don't, you don't go out and play well in those first three years. We can move on from you and bring in the next guy who will. And so I think ultimately those contracts in the, in the uh, you know, NFL players agreement will get a lot shorter from this point going on. Okay, going from the running back position to the quarterback position, which is never undervalued. Aaron Rodgers, the hype is real in New York for the Jets. They think this is the quarterback that's going to take them where they need to go. Where does Sean Merriman come down on the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers relationship? Is this what the Jets need to hit that next level? Yes, no doubt about it that they're a better team with him just walking in the door. I mean, just just him walking in the door, that whole entire team is better. They're in a better position. They instantly become uh, contenders in that conference, not that they weren't before. But they definitely are now. 
Um, and, you know, you look at that division, AFC East division, uh, you know, that window's closing for the Bills. Tua is healthy now. They, they, you know, the Jets are contenders. And, by the way, I'll just say this. I mean, you know, let's not talk Super Bowl or anything like that. We're talking about a team who could possibly uh, get into the playoffs this year that, that uh, we didn't talk about in the last decade, them being able to be this type of a uh, team. You know, Aaron Rodgers, you see the other day, him making passes in the back of the end zone. So, why, like, they haven't had anybody there in the last decade who can make those throws. So, he walk, him walking into the locker room automatically makes these guys contenders, especially in that division. Is it crazy when you think about the talent of AFC quarterbacks that are around, not just that division, but the AFC West and just sort of the, the, the American Conference as a whole, Sean? Because, I mean, look, all due respect to the NFC and where Aaron was coming from, it's a lot different landscape quarterback-wise where he is now. Uh, no question about it. Somebody uh, said to me earlier, they asked me a question about us not having rings, the Chargers not getting the ring <laughs> in my time with, with, uh, with the Chargers. There. Yeah. I said, well, well, you know why? Because we had to go through – uh, ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and then Tom Brady. I mean, you got to yeah. go through three great quarterbacks in order to get to a championship. And now you're looking at Pat Mahomes, uh, you know, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, all these guys. Now you got you got six to seven quality quarterbacks. I mean, even Tre- Trevor Lawrence is starting to come around. And so you're talking about a- the AFC West quarterbacks and the, the route that you have to to go through in order to get a championship. It's just gotten just insanely hard to to reach that plateau we're chatting with former nfl or three-time pro bowler sean merriman's along with us this afternoon uh logan gordon and aaron vickers along with us uh, aaron sean i'm just wondering if there are any other sort of quarterback storylines or, or scenarios that uh, grab your attention right now whether it be kyler murray in arizona matt stafford with the rams or even what's going on in san francisco well, one, I want to give a you know huge um, you know just a shout out and my thoughts with, with Matthew Stafford's wife. Uh, yeah, I just read yeah. that this morning about her cancer possibly coming back. So hopefully, him and the family's doing well with that. I think that um, that we're not really talking about Richardson a whole lot and with the Colts and this young guy coming in because you know we're, we're talking about somebody that fits exactly what they need to do and they can come in and win right now um you know i, I got the opportunity to play against andrew luck and i'm not comparing the two at all because andrew luck was probably the most nfl ready quarterback we've seen in, the, in probably in the last 15 years you know somebody could just step in and say you know what day one that's that the other guy's the nfl quarterback he can start right away and start contributing we haven't seen a guy like andrew luck come in like that um, but I think that what they're asking to do and with that team that they have built out there, the running back position, the wide receiver position, that defense, they're tremendously fast. And he comes in and just provides a little bit of spark for those guys that they didn't have with Matt Ryan and some of the other guys that passed through there. They're going to be a really, really good team in that AFC South. So you see him as a guy that's put up, he's essentially starting in a position to succeed. Oh, yeah, no question about it. Uh, and, and what they're asking him to do right now, and, and by the way, you know, he's, um, you know, what he's done in Florida, I think that just undermines uh, what he's going to, going to be capable of doing in NFL. You know, this guy got it. He got targets now. You know, he got a safety blanket in that, in that backfield. He got a, a, a defense filled with veterans who like to get after the quarterback and fly around the ball. That's, those are the type of teams as a, as a player that you hate playing because you got a young guy in there. They're not asking to do much because their team is so good in other, in other sides of the ball. Is it different in a situation for like a guy like C.J. Stroud? We're talking same draft class here, Sean, but different weapons when you look at – I mean, look, they're going to be in the same division, but uh, as you mentioned with Aaron there, it feels like the Colts are a lot further along this process than the 
uh, a team like the Texans are. Yeah, the Texans, I, I think, uh, are in a, um, a rebuilding stage. Um, and I think that bringing D'Amico Ryan's in with that, with that, I think there's going to be an energy there that we haven't seen where with the Texans for a long time. Um, and, and, I, and I used to joke about this. When, you go in, when you're drafted as a young guy, you go into a bad locker room with veterans that's used to losing. When I say, mean that is they're so accustomed to losing, they have no problems just when they lose a game to get back in the locker room and everyone's happy, smiling, uh, you know, just going about their day. They, don't, they will not have that with D'Amico Ryan as a, as, a, uh, as a head coach. I can tell you that right now. They won't. Um, I spent a lot of time around him. Uh, I think he, he's a he's a strong defensive-minded coach, but I think, think that the, his attitude across the board uh, is going to do wonders. Not only that they that they got the new quarterback, but my favorite player um, coming out of Alabama is Richardson. You know the the yeah. pass rusher. Um, I, I believe he's going to win defensive rookie of the year. I, I watched him since his freshman in Alabama, and uh, I, I, he's going to be a double-digit sack guy this year. Sean, how in the world do defensive players? get prepared for this new age quarterback that can not only throw the ball, but run the ball. You mentioned Anthony Richardson there, and he's just to me, the next prototype of extremely athletic quarterback that can do everything. It feels like defensive players, especially a guy like yourself, that linebacker spot where you're, you know, sort of forced to to play in two worlds, not easy to deal with guys that can run and are as big and fast as linebackers nowadays. It's changed that quarterback position quite a bit over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would I would say this. I would have a whole lot more opportunities to get a sack now. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know, they're letting the ball fly. Uh, but you're you're right, man. It, a lot of these guys are coming in not just being able to be pocket passes, but now they can throw in a run. Um, you know, I look at uh, Trevor Lawrence, man. When he gets on the edges and he gets out the pocket, he can throw in a run. Yeah, I'm not. He's not a running quarterback, but he makes it extremely hard uh, with guys like that. Same thing with C.J. Stroud, Richardson, um, obviously Lamar Jackson. We've even seen passing, and then people talk about how great of a passer passing Holmes is. But watch when his ankle was hurt in that Super Bowl, leading up to the yeah. Super Bowl. This guy was running all over the place on a bum foot, and so we, now these guys aren't just throwing the ball down the field; they pocket passes. I used to love playing against Peyton Manning. I can lie to you because I knew he wasn't running anywhere. <laughs> right, Tom Brady. Tom Brady wasn't running anywhere. Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, he he would get out the pocket and make some things happen, but most of these guys wasn't very mobile. Now. You can't just pin years back and go. I'd uh, love to ask you, Sean, about a couple of your former teams, starting with the Chargers. Very talented group under Brandon Staley, maybe a bit of underperforming the last couple of years. Feels like another big opportunity with them, with Khalil Mack there, Justin Herbert obviously leading things. How do you feel about the Chargers heading into this next season? You, you got to be excited, man. Now, and one thing I don't think anyone's talking about enough is Kellen Moore. Um, and the position he's coming in and basically the weapons that he's walking into. And, you know, he's walking into the court with a, you know, with a quarterback with the biggest arm in the National Football League. I mean, hands down, Justin Harbour has the biggest arm. you got three capable wide receivers at this point, all, all, uh, you know, Eckler in the backfield. And if those two Russians can stay healthy with that interior line, Derwin James coming back, J.C. Jackson, you've you got to be excited if you're a Chargers fan. You have to be. Um, and it's going to be a fun season. And, they just have to go out and win the games that they should win. And I know they tripped up in the playoffs last year. Got you know, got, uh, you know, the most unexpected things that's ever happened. Uh, but if they go out and win the games that they're supposed to win, you know, they're supposed to beat the Raiders twice. They're supposed to beat, um, you know, Denver. They, they're supposed to win those games. They just got to go out and handle business, man. But if you're a Chargers fan, you have to be excited about what they got in the locker room. With more. 
Is Justin Herbert a legit MVP candidate? Uh, you know, it. I, I'm the total opposite, man, of, of what the media will portray before the season, right? Because that t- the first day of training camp, when everybody break the huddle, 32 teams got a shot at the Super Bowl, right? And every single pass or every single run or tackle or anything anybody do during practice, people are going to be screaming Super Bowl. This is the best team there. Um, on paper, the way Justin Herbert and this, and this offense is built with Kellen Moore coming in, it should be. You know, he should be up for, uh, you, know, all, you know, MVP candidate or at least offense player to get of, of that caliber. But, man, we, we don't know. You know, last year he got hurt uh, with his ribs in the chief game early on in the season. He spent, you know, about, about four or five weeks pretty much injured. So if he stays healthy with that offense and they stay healthy on the offense side of the ball, yeah, absolutely he should be. Still see the AFC West as, as one of the best in the division with Mahomes, Wilson, and, and I guess Jimmy G in, in Las Vegas now? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, the Raiders got a whole bunch of stuff going on, man. <laughs> um, they they got a whole bunch, and it, and it really starts with Josh, Josh Jacobs. And I'm, you know, I've always talked crap to the Raiders fans, obviously being in the in the Chargers division or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but you know, you hate to see a guy like Josh Jacobs go, uh, you know, underpaid, undervalued, because he's such a key uh, component to what they built in that organization, and that's that's unfortunate. Uh, Sean, before we let you go here, man, really enjoyed the chat, but, uh, you've been busy post-career, man. You've gotten into the MMA world. Talk to us about this, uh, this post lights out, uh, career for you. You've gone from lights out in football to lights out in MMA. How did this come about? You getting in the MMA world? Yeah, I, uh, I launched lights out extreme fighting. Uh, we got a big fight in San Diego, August 26th. Those who can't make it, you can check us out on Fubo Sports, Fubo TV. We'll be live August 26th at 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, live on Fubo TV, man. We just cracked into the top five most watched all time on Fubo Sports, man. So check us out. This was, this was going to be our biggest one. It's my first fight going back to San Diego um, you know, since, I, since I launched the league back in 2019. That's crazy, man. Congratulations on that. What was the inspiration? Have you always been an MMA guy? Was this just sort of a natural transition for you after you were done with football? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been around the sport for 17 years. In fact, um, my first day training in MMA doing anything at all was with Randy Couture. Okay. Um, that was the, the first day that I walked into an MMA gym uh, that I was introduced to him. And I literally started to do it because I wanted to get better with my hand-eye coordination, better, more violent and active with my hands as an outside linebacker and pass rusher. Uh, and I talked to a lot of a lot of guys who's playing now and former guys to get, get more into some kind of combat sport because it can help you a lot in football. What's it like walking into the gym for the first time and going eye to eye with Randy Couture? <laughs> I imagine that's a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, you try to look right by his head and see what the exit is. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, but you know, it was, it was cool because you know he showed me some things that I didn't understand and why it was so important about the hand combat and using your body leverage. Uh, you know, obviously being fifty plus pounds heavier than Randy Couture, he was able to do certain things against me that I, I haven't seen, right? I'm going against 330 and 40 pound offensive linemen. Uh, and now I got a, a guy that's 205 pounds and they're tossing me around. So it was, <laughs> um, it was a learning curve for me that I understood how important leverage and using your hands was. How, uh, how have you enjoyed uh, the lights out extreme fighting part of it? You talk about it being, you know, developing the sports next great stars. Is it for, for younger fighters, older fighters? What's sort of the, the big sell in the promotion, Sean? Yeah, we, we got a lot of uh, of the up-and-coming guys that are, you know, fortunately at some point in 
Unfortunately, at some point in time, they'll be, uh, you know, fighting the UFC, or mm-hmm. we might have some kind of co-branding opportunity. But, you know, we got, we got three or four guys in this next fight card that will be uh, – they've already signed contracts for the UFC contender. So um, they'll have a fight or two with us. We'll like that extreme fight, and they'll go on. But we, we love it, man, because we're, you know, we're showing all over the country in the U.S., in Canada, Spain, and France. Um, and then to have those numbers of viewership that we have, it, man, showing me that the fans and the people watching, watching the fights, man, they're enjoying it. Well, man, I hope we can get you a couple more eyeballs out on the uh, the next event you guys have. Really appreciate the time with you today, Sean. Really enjoyed the chat. I hope we can do it again sometime soon, man. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Sean Merriman joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar. Guest hotline, former NFL Pro Bowler and the founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting. You can find them at lightsoutxf.com. Their next event coming up, uh, you can watch on Fubo TV. Uh, if you're into MMA, some of the younger stars there uh, getting into a newer MMA, not everybody jumps into the UFC as a star, and this is one of those places uh, where you can jump in as a younger mixed martial artist. Their next event coming up uh, in San Diego. Really enjoyed that chat with Sean. Uh, all things NFL training camps opening up across uh, for the 32 teams, and look, we're not that far away from NFL preseason getting underway. The Sundays will be full soon, Mr. Vickers, with nonstop NFL football on a Sunday. Fantasy drafts are going to be right around the corner, too, depending on when you do it. So it's very interesting to get Sean's take on certain things that I might have to tuck into the old back pocket <laughs> a little bit. Maybe uh, maybe file that away for good to know for later. Yep. That's uh, that's what I'm taking away from that. I need some help bad. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. I think we all do when it comes to that. I've already had two texts from uh, commissioners about potential draft dates. So you know fantasy football is right around the corner as the commissioners try their best to try to... Uh, wrangle 12 idiots in the same room together at least on the same uh draft time at the same place so we'll see maybe we should get like a flames media one going i was thinking about that the other day we got like julian here get uh get to, i don't know if we'd like have who'd enough be, for... who'd be sneaky good do you think in the media market here on a fantasy football present company excluded because i mean we can't pump we'd our be own tires fantastic but um i was on, uh, honestly my, my first name i thought was gonna be really like julian would be somebody that i think has a set of, of wide sports knowledge that kind of keeps up with everything. I think he's a big NFL guy on Sundays. Here's the catch, though. He doesn't become obsessed with it like I do. So, like, I'm Fair. I'm finishing ahead of him. Yeah. I'll call him out right now. I don't even know the league, don't even know the format. I just know that I'm so bringing the ahead of that? Fair enough. Interesting. I'm going to write that down and see if we can get that going because now I want to have that an actual challenge between you and Julian for the rest of the year. Just make it a five-minute segment on your show once a week. And it'll just be me trash talking him. The hey, we do time. ask Andy every year, so I know I can do uh, five minutes on how uh, you guys are doing against each other, and then no. You know, it's issue. funny when I would sit in and he would come on. And you know this. Maybe a certain percentage had to of the questions had to revolve around what was currently going on on my team, and just in a subtle way, because you kind of need just that little extra. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I uh, well, I've said this to Andy many times. The text line is always great nine six zero nine six zero. You're great all the time. The Ask Andy portion doesn't work unless people text in. I yep. always have more than enough people texting in when we do those fantasy football segments with, with Andy, but half of the texts come on my phone <laughs> from my idiot friends and coworkers who want Andy's perspective. And I know it. You, I've, got, like, I've got guys up in sales who text me. I've got all these guys. Hey, can you just ask if I should play Josh Jacobs or Austin Eckler this week? That's so why I got my phone going bzz, 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 the entire time. Well, I'm trying to do this segment with Andy, and you know, look, Andy's nice enough that even if you miss the segment and you go on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it, uh, he's nice enough to give you those answers. But I tell you, 
half of the time it's it's just other people listening in on the conversation trying to get ahead in fantasy football when I do those. I feel attacked. <laughs> You're one of them. That's why. Uh, I'll usually just hold up the paper with my question to the co-host and be like, ask yeah. this one, ask this one. That one, that one. Yeah. Uh, once again, thanks to Sean Merriman for doing that. Really appreciate it. I hope we can do that again. Uh, Sean was great keeping up with everything in the league right now. Uh, and the NFL training camp's underway. We're a few weeks away. Did you hear about this uh, story about Naeem Hines, Bill's running back who's out for the season? I heard he was out for the season. I didn't hear it. It was off-ice, or, or sorry, off-field uh, incident? Jet ski accident. Jet ski? He got ran into while he was on a jet ski oh. and is out for the rest of the season. He was sitting on a jet ski, just hanging out on the on the water, and another jet skier. So a jet ski on jet ski collision, and now twelve ACL months ACL injury in his gone. left knee. Season's gone. Ouch! Really brutal. As if we don't get enough, like just generic training camp injuries. That uh, that's a bit of a tough one for Bills fans to start the year. We'll take a break though. We'll come back on the other side. Football hour continues. Tough one for the Calgary Stampeders last night at McMahon Stadium. They fall in OT to the Ottawa Red Blacks. Patty Dumas has your stamps report covering all things Stampeders around the corner. Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. From NFL training camps opening up across the league south of the border, we flash back to Sunday night at McMahon Stadium. Sportsnet today, Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you. Stampeders and Red Blacks on a hot Sunday evening in Calgary. Exploding offenses, going to OT. Unfortunately, the Calgary Stampeders have now lost two games at home in overtime after losing to the Rough Riders earlier this year. On home field, they do it again to the Ottawa Red Blacks. Failed two-point conversion from the Stamps, who do score on their first position in OT, but they're unable to stop the Ottawa Red Blacks from scoring. Nate Bahar catches the game-winning two-point convert, and the Stampeders finally, or not finally, but suddenly find themselves in a position they're not used to being in. That's winless at home. Yeah, near the bottom of the standings in the West Division. Yep, and looking at a very tough schedule coming up. Once again, they'll be in action Sunday in Montreal to take on the Alouettes to close out their July schedule. But uh, let me tell you, Mr. Vickers, before we get into this Stamps report, Patty Dumas, August is tough. They welcome in Toronto August fourth. Toronto is undefeated. Then to BC, who is five and one, leading the West. Winnipeg in town, who's five and two, second in the West. Off to Toronto to end the month, who's still 5-0. and Still first in the East. Tough. Good news is Mark and Michelle look good. The offense looked like they had some bounce they maybe haven't had all season long, but they're unable to capitalize on that comeback win against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. For all things on the Stamps loss to the Ottawa Red Blacks on Sunday, here is your Stamps report with Patty Dumas. This, this is the Stamps report with Patrick Dumas. Calgary Stampeders returned home under beautiful conditions on Sunday evening at McMahon Stadium after a month away on the road to take on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Ahead of this one, Brandon Dozier was listed as a game-time decision. He was unable to go, so Tay Daly 
made the start at safety in Dozier's place. We'll pick up the action in the first quarter after Ottawa opened the scoring thanks to a Lewis Ward field goal. It was Calgary's opportunity to answer, and a lot of talk in the lead-up on whether or not the Stamps could get something going with a big play down the field, and that's exactly what happened for their first score of the day, with Jake Mayer finding rookie Clark Barnes down the Ottawa sideline for a 54-yard catch and run. It's the rookie's first CFL touchdown, and just like that, the Stamps had their first lead of the day. However, the Rene Paredes extra point was no good. Renee entering Sunday's contest, needing just nine points to reach the historic benchmark of 2,000. Next Stamps possession, as disaster strikes for Jake Mayer, he stares down his target in Reggie Bagleton. Ottawa's Brandon Dandridge reads it the entire way and takes it back to the house. Ottawa back in front. More turnovers from the Stamps as Mayer can't get the handoff correctly to Diedrich Mills and the defending defensive player of the year, Lorenzo Malden, picks it up and Ottawa with more points off turnovers as the former stamp Ante milanovic Litre would take it the rest of the way, and just like that, Ottawa opens up a two-score lead. 14 points off of Stampeders' turnovers, and it's not even out of the first half. Some life next drive for Calgary, as Jake Mayer probably takes the Stamps on their most productive drive of the evening, capped off by Mark and Michelle's first touchdown since coming back to the CFL. Great adjustment at the pylon and a great throw from Jake. Stamps would go for two, but the pass is broken up. And the failure of two-point conversions would be a theme in this one. The clubs would exchange field goals before the half was out, but Ottawa had a lead, albeit slight, 2019. First Stamps drive of the second half would result in a Tommy Stevens touchdown, but that was all set up by first-rounder Cole Tucker's first catch of the game for 22 yards, and 15 more was tacked on because of a horse-collar tackle, but the Stamps go back in front, 25-20. The Red Blacks couldn't muster much on their next possession and would have their punt blocked by Levante Bellamy, setting Calgary up on Ottawa's side of the half. Dustin Crum, in just his second CFL start, did a great job all game not panicking and spreading the ball around. You'd find Justin Hardy on a 24-yard score to put the Red Blacks back in front. They would get their two-point conversion, making it a field goal game. Fourth quarter now, and another big stretch from the Stamps' offense as all it took was one play from Calgary to go back in front. Mayer finding Michelle for the second time on the day. This one for 95 yards. Two-point convert, no good. Stamps lead 32-28. After Ottawa turns it over on downs, Calgary looking for the kill shot, perhaps, but can't as Mayer's first throw out of the gate is intercepted by Alonzo Adai, and Ottawa with a chance to go out in front in the late stages of the fourth as Dustin Crum leads the Red Blacks on a 12-play, 87-yard drive that ends with a Nate Behar touchdown, extra point good, and Ottawa up three late. Calgary in need of some more late-game Paredes magic with number 30 just two points away from 2,000. He would get a chance to hit that historic mark as he bangs through his third field goal of the day and another one from 45-plus, 35-35, and we got extra football. Both teams no stranger to the extra session as Calgary played one in their last home game and Ottawa was in one just last week. Red Blacks win the toss and start on defense and start well with a sack of Mayer, but the next play, 12 finds Bagleton for 16 yards. A face mask from Damon Webb on Tommy Lee Lewis would put the Stamps with a first and goal from the seven, and the next play, Mayer finds Trey Odom's Dukes for his fourth touchdown pass of the day. You need to go for two in overtime, and despite the calls for interference and a challenge, Mayer was unable to link up with Reggie Bagleton at the back of the north end zone, and the Stamps were unable to convert their two-point attempt and it would bite them with the Red Blacks' first possession of OT. Crom and Co. would work their way down and get into the end zone thanks to Leitre's second touchdown of the game. And Ottawa, who didn't miss on their two-point converts on the night, would not miss on this one. 
Crum finds wide open Bahar. Red Blacks win an epic one, 43-41, and improved to 3-3. Three and three. Calgary falls to 2-4. and four. Stampeders on the road in week number eight. Next Sunday against the Alouettes, Ottawa kicks off the week hosting the Ticats on Friday. Time to hear from the coach and GM, Dave Dickinson. Yeah, we just uh, didn't make enough plays. I mean, we could have won that game. We feel like we should have, but we didn't. So, uh, yeah, I hope everybody's looking in the mirror. Hope everyone's trying to get better individually. Hopefully do that to make the team better. I feel like there were lots of chances to put it away, and it just yep. didn't quite happen. As, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could probably look at lots of areas. Uh, and I thought we hit some explosive plays. Uh, we definitely hit some chunks. Um, didn't think we had uh, did too bad controlling the line scrimmage pass-wise, but didn't get the running game going. Special teams, too many penalties again, but we had, had some really nice returns, really nice returns. But we also, um, you know, you got to look at it as a totality uh, to see where we're at. Defensively, we're, we're working. We're, we're not getting the turnovers we want. Um, and, and they made plays. Uh, quarterback played well. Do you, do you think this team lacks a killer instinct, given how some of these games have gone and the points that have been left on the table? I don't know, like. I don't really know what killer instinct is to me. Do your job, execute, do your job. That's it. I mean, killer instinct to me, that's, that's just uh, something that people talk about. You need, to, you need to do your job. If you don't believe that you can do it, you won't get the job done. So, you know, to me, sometimes the best teams have swagger and confidence, especially defensively, like, bring it, bring it. I'm, gonna, I'm making the play. Uh, right now, that's not a, a, the situation for our entire team. I don't believe we feel like we're the team that's going to make the play. How do you solve that? You make the play. You make the play and you do it over and over and over and pretty soon everybody believes that and then you get the job done. Does it just feel like this team kind of finds it hard to hold momentum right now, get a couple good plays, and yeah. maybe a flag or something slows down drive? Yeah, I don't I feel like, yeah, you're right too. We have, You can't win two games in a row. You can't build momentum. You can't find a way to move yourself up in the standings. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, no momentum for us. We're inconsistent. We have some great plays. We have some great, great plays, great looking things, and other times it just we're very inconsistent. Is that, as a coach, is that, is that part of the process, or I mean, because we see these amazing flash plays, and sometimes an interception or a turnover. Sort of yeah, thing. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to really make an excuse that, that inexperienced this or inexperienced that, because uh, we have enough experience now. We're seven games in, our guys. But you know, just just being there, doing that, making sure. Uh, we know how to win football games. I mean, winning does breed winning. There ain't no doubt about that. That's when you said that. That's a killer instinct. Winning breeds winning. So we just need to have to, to win more games. And we don't want to wait till the last drive. We don't want to wait. Uh, we we got to put the pedal down when we have that momentum and, and, and put somebody away. We, we really haven't done that. Can you talk about the play of Clark Barnes this yeah. season so far? Is maybe uh, yeah. expectations <laughs> for a third round pick? Yeah, appreciate you bringing the positivity because that, that guy has been a, a nice addition. Uh, He's out playing a lot of guys in the league uh, as a rookie. He's a good player. Um, to me, he's tough too. He battles. He was hurting, but uh, made some really nice catches and he's got speed and caught the caught in traffic. Did our kickoff returns. I bet he's sore. So I uh, got to use him, but also let the offense kind of fit around him. But I think he's a weapon, and I I believe defenses uh, know where Clark's at. Completely different year team, obviously. But in 2021, you guys were two and five and sat down and figured it out. <laughs> On a nice so, winning streak to start of the season. I mean, yeah. What what has happened for that? Uh, well, we're, we're definitely a transition team, meaning we have a lot of new place faces. Um, you as coaches, though, I I'm, a, I'm of the same opinion that you have to do something different. You can't you can't continually you know make the same calls or coach the same way if the players aren't responding and we're not winning. 
That's it. That's it, coaches. We we found ways to change that up a couple years ago, and the players responded. So now we have to find the same ways, or we got to get new players. That's the other. That's the other option. So uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Tough words can sense the disappointment in his voice. And despite throwing for four touchdowns and over 400 yards, those two interceptions were killer. Here's Jake following the loss. Sucks to be on that side of it, uh, but it was a fun game, entertaining game. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of highs and lows, but uh, that's the CFL, man. You get the full experience most of the time you're out there. Um, and uh, hats off to them. They get some plays at the end. You didn't get the result, but you were able to put up you know, 40-plus points. Do you feel like you were able to maybe build a little bit on last week's performance offensively? Yeah, I think we're getting better and better as the weeks go offensively. Um, starting to get in a rhythm. Um, you know, Miller and I are really starting to click. Um, you know, I know why he calls certain things, and we're starting to get used to each other a little bit. And, um, and then, like I said, uh, some of our top guys made some big plays uh, down the field, which was fun. Uh, for you, I mean, what, what do you think has to happen to turn a couple of really close games recently? Two of them haven't really gone your way out to the right on this yep. team. I mean, what's the difference between sort of winning and losing? I think early in the game, like I think those plays that happen early in games, they kind of compound as the, as the game goes. I mean, we were 0 for 3 on two-point conversions. That would have won us the game. Uh, there were pick six early. That would have won us. That would have won us the game if that didn't happen. Um, so I think it's just uh, it's just players over time throughout the game. It's not just what happens in overtime or whatever. It it, uh, it compounds on you a little bit, and uh, we got to avoid those, man. I think I've turned the ball over in every game that we played in. And, whether I've responded or not, um, eventually we got to eliminate those uh, so that we can give ourselves some more breathing room and f- not feel like we have to overcome ourselves. Early in the season, it seemed like there was a lot of short throws uh, from this offense. Today, you managed to find a deep ball over and over and over again. What was the difference in what you were seeing today? Yeah, I mean, um, it's getting more and more uh, ingrained in our game plans. Um, and then it's just, uh, you know, being dialed up at the right times, man. It's a uh, credit to the play caller, too. You know, put ourselves in situations to where we can go take those opportunities. Um, so it's just a combination of that, and then guys making the catches, and myself making the throws down the field. Offensive line holding up protection so that we're able to to make them happen. So um, we're always trying to make an emphasis to to ex- create explosive plays. Um, and I feel like the last couple of weeks we've done a really good job of that. You, you had a couple of really nice throws to Mark in, and it seemed like it was his breakup How's that relationship evolved, and what do you see tonight? Morgan just gets more and more comfortable as the. As, he, as he's as he's here, you know, it's uh, it's tough to go back and forth from the NFL to here, and um, you know, kind of remind yourself like, oh, there's a little bit of a difference in the CFL game from a receiver's perspective, and, and the speed at which you play at, and uh, you know, the, getting used to the waggle again, and, and all those things. So he's getting more comfortable, and um, you know, we we uh, we bond as much as we can outside of that. How about that adjustment on the first touchdown catch? Oh yeah, well, shoot, man, that's uh, that's why we brought it. He's a man. Yeah, fun game from a neutral's perspective, but not the result you need if you are a Stampeders fan as they fall to 2-4. and four. Monday is a breakdown as they uh, take in all the action from last night. Tuesday is an off day before preparations for Montreal begin on Wednesday. With your Stampeders report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. Yeah, one big positive for the Calgary Stampeders. Jake Mayer's play, 28-38, 450 yards, four touchdown passes, two interceptions, in there, but much more along the lines with the Calgary Stampeders need to see from their starting quarterback. The uh, had Justin Dunk, the morning show had Justin Dunk on a little bit earlier today from Three Down Nation, uh, joining Matt Rose and Peter Klein. And uh, JD with the similar thoughts says a lot of Stamps fans, it's encouraging signs for Jake Mayer, something the Stamps will need more of if they want to dig out of this early season hole. 
And the word that I would use there that's become a buzzword in pro football is complementary football, that you see it in spurts from the Stampeders. They haven't been able to put it together for multiple games this season. They haven't won two games in a row, or even at times during games, they can look like a completely different team. So I think that is probably the case for a lot of teams in the league. The top teams limit those spurts and don't allow it to come back and hurt them in the game when they make mistakes or just play smart football, right? Like going to an out net isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're still winning the field position game. The Blue Bombers have done that really well for years. I think that's what the Argonauts are doing great right now, and especially the BC Lions with the way that their defense is playing. So you see flashes of it from the Stampeders, but as Dickinson alluded to after the game, that he wants to see this team build some momentum. When you looked at the numbers going into the game, um, Ottawa led the league in 30-plus yard completions allowed, and the Stampeders looked like they were able to expose that once again in the game yesterday, obviously in a losing effort. But what have you seen from Jake Mayer as far as you know being able to push the ball downfield? This felt like a big step for him. It really did. I thought it was a game that showed his upside, but then also showed where he needs to grow. So I think for the positives, yes, he's throwing the ball down the field more. It looks like that connection with Mark and Michelle, pretty obvious, right, has developed quickly, and it seems like there's a trust there. Trey Odoms-Dukes obviously had a big game as well. Reggie Bagleton was out there doing his thing. So I think you have some guys there that you can look at and say, hey, they've got multiple playmakers. Clark Barnes had his first career touchdown, shout out the University of Guelph product there. And that group that they're putting together there, you can see what's going on with the receivers. But the downside of Mayer is situational football. And that interception in the fourth quarter with the Stampeders up by four ended up in an Ottawa touchdown going back the other way for the Red Blocks on offense led by Dustin Crum. So that situational awareness needs to be better for Mayer in those situations. Don't force a ball in there. It's on first down. You have the lead by four. You know, it's getting later into the fourth quarter. And that's an example I'm talking about where some of these other teams will play complementary football where the Blue Bombers usually, it's been a little bit different this year, won't turn the football over in this that situation. They'll take a two-and-out, punt the football deep, and make the Red Blacks go the length of the field. So those are the types of things that are not allowing the Stampeders team to consistently win football games. Those kind of mistakes with Mayer, are those fixable? Like, is that something at this level you can coach out of someone, or is that just kind of imprinted in his DNA at this point? I think it's definitely something that he can get better at and that you can coach out of him, and I'm sure he's going to look on film, going to hate seeing that throw into coverage there, and it just didn't look like he was confident when he let it go, right? The ball kind of fluttered, it gets tipped around, and Alonzo Adai makes the interception, but even if that ball would have been thrown on time or on more of a line, it still was a dicey throw, right? So I think it's just the situational awareness that he needs to get used to as QB1 for this team, that you can't make those types of decisions and put the football up for grabs there. I'm sure he's going to have a lengthy conversation with Dave Dickinson about it because he did it just a few weeks ago in that overtime loss against Saskatchewan, that key interception, and said, well, you know, he would have made that throw again, but on hindsight and even reviewing it, I hope that he realized that you just can't do that in those situations. You need to be smart with the football, especially late in games. There are going to be situations where you might have to step up and make a tighter window throw, you know, especially if you're behind. But in some of those situations, I think you need to make better reads and be 
more protective of the football. So I think it's something that he can get better at and be coached out of, especially with Dave Dickinson there. Justin Dunn from Three Down Nation with uh, Matt Rose and Peter Klein earlier this morning and some good stuff there. Uh, you can hear that whole conversation on the Big Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast. But, yeah, it's it's hard not to look at that fourth quarter interception for Jake Mayer as one that he's going to want back. I mean, overall, it's hard to complain with 450 yards and, and four, four touchdowns. touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's going to be the, the crux of it. And, then look, the defense had an uncharacteristic game for the majority of this season. The Stamps D has been their bread and butter, and what's kept them, you know, uh, got them a couple wins, let's be honest. The offense is just sort of figuring it out, and now you have a game where you give up 43 points. And now it's the reverse. Yeah. If you can just get both sides going at the same time, look out. But it's an if right now, not a win. Yeah, and you've got some tough opponents coming up. You've got Montreal in Montreal. It's your longest travel for the season heading out to that game next Sunday in Montreal. And uh, look, it came at the expense of the running game. Diedrich Mills only had six carries. The rest came from Jake Mayer or Tommy Stevens. The good news, I mean, Mark and Michelle, welcome back to the CFL. Four receptions, 134 yards, two touchdowns. One of them a 95-yard score. That dude is a beast. You can see why he was so coveted by the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, and coming back from the NFL, that was a major performance that they needed from him. But again, all of this, you know, sort of meaningless when you can't, you just got to give up 40, right? And you give up 43 and the game's over. Uh, Stamps in tough now with this Western Conference looking so, uh, you know, tough. BC and Winnipeg at five wins already. Uh, Saskatchewan's at three and three. You've got a chance to catch them. But I said it yesterday, it looks like you're, looking uphill at Winnipeg and BC already. Well, you're, and you're sitting in a situation where, as you mentioned, you haven't won at home yet and you haven't put together back-to-back wins yet. So the alarm should be ringing, I guess, for lack of a better term, but you need to sort of address, like you mentioned, going out on the road for the longest one of the year, but you need to use home field advantage to your advantage and you need to string some wins together if you're going to put something together. Uh, maybe a chance to do it against two Eastern opponents coming up, but we'll see. Toronto's been a tough out for everybody yeah. this year. Uh, maybe that can be the, the turnaround point is I think you need to pick up a win in Montreal. I think that's a beatable opponent. They're good, don't get me wrong, but I think they're beatable. If you can somehow upset Toronto at home August 4th in McMahon Stadium, maybe you can use that as a bit of a springboard forward if you're the Calgary Stampeders. Thanks again to Patty Dumas for the Stamps report. We'll check in with them all week long as we get set for their Sunday matchup. In Montreal to close out week eight. Week eight action starts on Friday when the Ottawa Red Blacks host the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side, dive into hour three, check it in with a team that didn't have a great weekend uh, in baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays almost left their fans in Seattle, totally disappointed. They got lucky and Brandon Belt saved them. Uh, Taylor's got the latest with the Jays report coming up next. We'll also hear from Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher and Sportsnet analyst, what he saw from Alec Manoa as he got the start against the Mariners on Sunday. That, as Hour 3 kicks off next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.